Welcome yet again to another episode of Thoughts and Tea, TNT with your girl, T, <laughs> me. Thank you. Thank you so much, every one of you, for being here with me today. You have other things you could be doing, but you choose to listen to me. <laughs> I'm so glad and so grateful, and I really do appreciate this. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about, well, with the help of very knowledgeable people, I've been talking about um, issues that are very important to us, especially as black and brown people in the world. And um, the last episode was on anxiety and how, you know, we can deal with it, especially as people of color. This week's episode we're going to be talking about the elephant in the room, the very huge elephant that we know exists, but we seem not to talk about as much as it needs to. The elephant I'm talking about is that unspoken tension between Africans and African-Americans. Or let me be a lot more specific, you know, Africans on or from the continent versus, you know, our brothers and sisters in the diaspora. <laughs> Why is this? Personally, I think a lot of it is just a big misunderstanding because if we're being honest, none of us can really relate to each other's experiences, even though they're all black experiences. And because of that, I don't think we know how to empathize with each other and in that respect, understand each other. I feel like that miscommunication, that misunderstanding is the cause of this big, cultural divide that has created this elephant I'm speaking of. We cannot deny it. It's there. I'm an African living in America and I see this all the time. But no one is the bad guy. That's the, that's the, the irony of all of this is no one is the bad guy. It's just a matter of reconciling with each other and our experiences. Oh, oh, ah. As I established in the beginning of this whole podcast shindig, I do not have all the answers. So to help me talk about this is Professor Mwatabu Okanta. We call him Baba. He is amazing. He is a professor in the Pan-African Department at Kent State University. He's a poet, he's written books, and he specializes in, in African, African-American diaspora studies. He is a black man born in America who discovered what it meant to be African. When all you know is all you know, that is all you know. And we cannot fault ourselves for that. However, once you get a hold of information, it's up to you then to educate yourself. If you want, if you don't, then hey, that's your choice. But, but I feel so blessed to be able to have this this vessel of knowledge and this vessel of wisdom here with me on this episode. So um, we're just going to jump right into it. Okay, my name is Mwatabu Okanta. I am a poet and an associate professor of Pan-African Studies at Kent State University. Okay, wonderful, guys. As I said, this man is a 
amazing when it comes to the topic of um, reconciling the diaspora and the continent. I could really not think of too many people I personally know who have had such a like a good experience or a, a deep experience with um, both uh, the continent and being in America. And he's the first person I mm-hmm. could think of when I thought of that. That's why I have him here. So thank you again, Baba, for being on this on this um, podcast. Yes, I'm, I'm glad to be here. All right. So uh, first topic or first question is recently, and on my previous podcast, I said that there were two French doctors who... Um, who wanted to volunteer the continent of Africa as the test subject for COVID, uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. Why do you think they were able to go sit on national TV and say something like that so effortlessly? Well, I'm always suspicious of, of such things. Well, there is a proverb that our enslaved ancestors used here in the United States. And it goes something like, be careful when you're getting all you want. Fattening hogs ain't in luck. And, I mean, the, the, the history of the contact between Europeans and Africans is, is filled with mistreatment, deceit, deception on the part of Europeans. Um, so it's just interesting to me, you know, why would two French doctors... Why do they want to test the vaccine in Africa? Right. I mean, these are the same French who still get paid money uh, uh, by the colonies that they controlled in Africa. So it it makes no sense to me. You know, it is their perception that African lives are expendable. But what do you think even motivated them to feel confident enough to to talk about this publicly? Because we we are so used to the like well those of us who know we're used to the deceit being concealed, we're used to the manipulations being um hidden. But this time they were so blatantly open about it. What do you think made them get that new level of confidence? Well, I don't I don't think they've ever lost it. So they're just being who they've always been. It's, it's like anything else. They think we're desperate and we'll take anything that they offer to us. And, and the, the, the Tuskegee experiments uh, in, I guess that was the 1920s or 30s here in the United States, where, where they were doing experiments to see how the syphilis virus would develop in people. And they use uh, uh, black men and their families uh, to to monitor that, you know. So these people can do some diabolical things. So we just have to be very, very careful. You know, at the same time, I tell my students, you know, everybody black is not your friend. Everybody white is not the enemy. So it's not to say that. European doctors or American doctors, white doctors, they're not doing work helping people in Africa. At the same time, you know, I have my suspicions because of the history of the contact between Europeans, the continent of Africa, you know, white people and black people. Uh, and that's, that's just real. 
So talking about people, so there is an unspoken, mm-hmm. unsettling um, African v. African-American situation where we seem to dwell in an invisible boxing ring, using our, exp- our experiences and expectations as the referee while the rest of the world sits down as encouraging spectators somewhat unaware or just indifferent. Considering you have lived in both worlds, how similar or yeah. different do you think we are? Well, I mean, we're one people. You know, we're we're opposite sides of the same coin. And, you know, when I, I spoke earlier about the contacts between Europe and, and Africa, you know, it's, it's a historical contact, you know. Um, people of African descent, Africans were enslaved, throughout the Americas um, and and then forced to develop in countries run by the descendants of Europeans. Um, whereas on the continent, Africans were colonized. And, and, and so our contacts with each other, on the one hand, are often problematic because we we meet each other with mutual ignorance we don't we don't know a lot about each other and and a lot of what we think we know about each other has been given to us by Europeans I mean you know I go to Ghana it's when I when I <laughs> I spoke with students at the University of Cape Coast uh you have Obruni names, you speak an Obruni language, you worship Obruni religion, and then you look at us coming from the diaspora and you call us Obruni. I mean, what are we missing in this picture? So there's a lot of confusion on both sides of the Atlantic, while at the same time, We've been interacting with each other for a very, very, very long time in very, very positive ways. You know, as you know, it was the year of the return last year in Ghana. And over a million people from the diaspora went to Ghana last year. Those a million people, uh, probably two-thirds of them, came from the United States. Many of us love our connection to Africa, and that's a good thing, you know, and and it doesn't surprise me that it doesn't get a lot of media attention um, because I I really believe that if it got a lot of media attention, more of us would want to go, and that is a threat to Europeans remaining in control of our destiny. You know, it, it occurred to me when I was there, because I was there twice last year. Um, you know, and we go to Du Bois's house that was given to him by by Kwame Nkrumah. And, and so there's been that kind of a relationship uh, between African-Americans and Ghana ever since Ghana became independent. You know, uh, Martin Luther King was in Ghana uh, for the independence celebration. You know, I have a, a great picture of him and Kwame and Puma. When Malcolm X 
went to Africa, he met with Nkrumah and traveled to other African countries. So that, that connection has been there. I was taught by Africans from Africa here in this country who came here very quietly and, and, and worked with our people. Uh, there was a musician uh, from Nigeria, Babatunde Olotunji. He, he was in Harlem for years and taught Malcolm, taught John Coltrane, uh, Carlos Santana. Um, so I don't get so caught up in the problem because, you know, miscommunication is there. But I don't get so caught up in it that I don't pay attention to the very positive communication that's been going on for years. Um, Martin Delaney in the 1850s left. He was from Ohio, too, from Dayton. He left uh, uh, this country and went to Liberia and traveled from Liberia to what's now Nigeria, to Abeokuta, and met with the Obas in an attempt to, to get land for us who wanted to go to resettle. Marcus Garvey attempted to do the same thing in the 1920s. And, and, and you know, the Ghanaian government is now making that possible uh, now. And, I mean, I think it's great. It's not for everybody. Uh, but a lot of us want to do that. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> but we do meet in... In terms of this mutual ignorance, for, for us coming from the diaspora, mm -hmm. when we go and visit Africa, I don't care where you go, um, when you go, it, it forces you to confront how much we think like Americans in ways you don't necessarily pay attention to here. And, and you have to confront that. And it, it's not an easy thing to do. But at the same time, it, it's, I remember the first time I was in Nigeria. Actually, it was the second time I was in Nigeria. And I remember the moment when it occurred to me that I had just gone 24 hours and hadn't seen a white person. Growing up here, you know, we're surrounded by them all the time, you know. And... um it's had a very <laughs> detrimental effect on our psyches from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high and everywhere in between. There were people who looked like me. It's, I think what amazes people in Africa is what we do know. We know, you know, we've been exposed to information, have access and I've talked about this with African friends. Um, here, we have access to information about Africa that Africans in Africa don't have. You know, because when we go, we go to the campus. And so this, the group in 2017 met with, with graduate students. And they were amazed because these graduate students had not read a lot of the Afrocentric scholarship 
from people from the Caribbean, from the United States, South and Central America, that are writing about African things, both in Africa as well as here in the diaspora. And a lot of those students hadn't been exposed to that. One of them was aware of scholars like Asa Hilliard, Malefia Sante, Francis Chris Welsing, Yann uh, Karou, uh, Walter Rodney. Um, only one. A lot of Africans come here and learn things about Africa that they didn't know while they were there. Yeah, I um, can attest to that. I'm one of those. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those. Yeah. But it also takes an open mind. It takes a willingness to want to learn. You know, you can have all the information available, but if you're not willing. So, like I said, if, if there's anything America has done for me, it's been a blessing with regards to opening my eyes to see what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, mm-hmm. then everything else was then up to me. And that's why we're having this conversation, because if, we, if we're being honest, we are on both sides of the coin. I am, I was born in Ghana. I was practically raised there. And I live here now. So there is a certain truth that I had to come to realize because what was marketed to me before I came to America was entirely or is entirely different from the American reality. And so I do tell people, and yesterday I was actually having a conversation with someone and I told him that... uh, he was saying, you know, this country is bad. No, not America, but he was talking about China. And, oh, my God, China is like the worst place to be. And I was a little bit on the, def- on the defensive because I'm like, first of all, have you even been there? And every country has its own, and listen, I'm sorry, its own shit. But um, it's just how good are you at covering that shit up? Right. You know, so America just and, has... And, you know, we have to deal with other countries from positions of strength. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at the University of Ghana, they have a research institute that was paid for by the Japanese. You know, um, I just saw information that the Chinese just sent medical supplies to Ghana, um, you know, in terms of this COVID-19 thing. Yeah. But, you know, we, we if, if we listen to uh, our iconic leaders, um, then we can deal with these people from positions of strength. You know, we just have to figure this thing out. Um, we haven't been out of slavery in this country that long. African countries haven't been independent that long. True. Um, and so it's, it's, it's going to take us some time to get through. That's what I love about I Quiet Armor's novel, 2000 Seasons where he talks about a thousand seasons going into slavery, but then a thousand seasons crawling maimed from it. And and I truly believe we're in the thousand seasons crawling maimed from it. We're, we're coming out of this. I mean, think about it. Something you did go around town People who did go downtown Some people did
something is going on downtown and that thing is the reconciliation of black and brown people all over the world. Thank you so much, Baba, for the knowledge that you've given me. And to you listeners, this is actually the first in two parts of this conversation. So stay tuned. Next week, I will bring you the other half of this conversation. But I hope you've learned something. We need to start educating ourselves. Black and brown people, we need to understand that even though we might not be able to identify with each other's experiences, those struggles stem from the same core. And by isolating us from each other, we've been kept in a place where progression has become very difficult. But it need not be like that. We can free ourselves from those shackles, from that bondage. But first, we need to reconcile. We need to understand that these experiences are different but they are similar the struggles are different but they are similar and so will the triumphs be those triumphs will happen though when we reconcile with each other it's been such an honor to bring you another episode of thoughts and tea tnt with your girl t me you can find this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as my website A-M-I-T-A-M-A-K-L-O-E.com. I'll see you next week. See you later. Clink. Cigarettes still cause for town. Few people they smile, more they frown. <laughs>